perfect. All right, I figured we would uh, start right on time, and if anyone shows up a, a couple minutes late, uh, they'll wonder about all the amazing things we got to in the first two minutes. Exactly. Um, first, let me thank everybody who is logged on to listen, potentially participate. Um, and then, of course, Emily Sanderson, uh, who I've been looking forward to talking to because we're friends. Um, hey. Right. We've like chatted a lot, so um, we already have some stuff to talk about. Um, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Emily is a, a, a dancer and a teacher and a performer and really uh, somebody who is like really thoughtful and, and humble as a student. Um, which is something that I always found really amazing about somebody who's genuinely talented. I feel like a lot of people who are really talented often, you know, don't take risks, you know, because it, it risks, you know, making them seem weak when there's somebody who has a lot of talent in certain areas. But uh, Emily is somebody who is like willing to like have the beginner's mind all the time. And uh, I, I appreciate that. So I think it's a, a, you have something that a lot of people in our culture don't have right now, you know? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. I think it's super important to, to have humility when approaching anything in life because no one's an expert. <laughs> right. Well, as somebody who is, like I said, uh, when we'll get to it, but somebody who's incredibly talented to, to have that kind of humility is a, a really unique quality. Um, but let me explain to everybody how, how we met and how, how you're wearing a Movement Brooklyn shirt right now. Um, so to bring things a little like into like the, the interconnectedness of all, all people and all things here, um, I first uh, interviewed Tom Wexler a handful of weeks ago for this when we started doing these talk Q&A things. And Tom was teaching a workshop, I think in like November or October, I want to say, in New York City. And Emily was there participating and I was there with Alexa and a few other people who, who are taking class at Movement Brooklyn. And I don't even know that Emily and I spoke there, but after one of the days, Alexa came up to me and was like, oh, you know, there's this woman who's in class and she's like really good. And she says that she teaches in Greenpoint, which is where our gym was at the time. And, you know, I, I sent her a message through Instagram. I was like, oh, hey, my wife said that she was partnered with you in, in class and that you're in Greenpoint sometime. If you want to, you know, you should stop by and, and take a class or, or whatever. You're in the neighborhood. And you know, I feel like oftentimes you put these things out there to people, but especially in New York City, people are just so busy and they're caught up in their own like journeys and grooves that they're like, oh, yeah, I'll be there. And then no one ever follows through on everything. Alexa always talks about how like when she tries to sell things on Craigslist, she has to remind people like, you know, I'm going to make myself available. So you better show up mm -hmm. because in New York, it's just, it's, it's every man for himself. But Emily, like followed through and showed up and took class. And then 
she's telling me about how she teaches and, and a little bit of her background. And like I said, like we're doing certain things and she's like really talented. And then the things that she's not as talented at just being like, well, I'm going to work even harder at that. Not being like, Oh, like, I don't want to like not look good in front of people. Um, so we chatted a little bit after and I said to her, like, you know, do you have any interest in, in teaching movement? Because, you know, she had been teaching uh, pole dancing and Pilates and, you know, I met her at this Tom Wexler workshop, which was a kind of a different realm. So I was like, oh, there's some other interest there. And she said, yeah. So I said, okay, well, we should sit down and chat again sometime. And again, we set up like a time to meet up and, and powwow a little bit more. But again, in New York, I'm just like, ah, oh, like, we'll see if this person follows through. Cause like, I've learned to not even send reminder text messages at this point. I'm like, yeah, like we'll see if they show up. She shows up early and we sit and chat for, I don't know, like an hour. And we're like, oh, like, you know, kind of like similar mindsets about things and, and, and approaches. And I said, well, you know, I've ha I really wanted to find somebody who I can educate on like what I'm doing at Movement Brooklyn and, and make, make them a teacher. You know, it's kind of a commitment and you sound really busy, but I think, you know, we can make this work if it's something you're interested in. She said, yeah. And she said, I will be at these classes every week and I will meet you at the gym on this day to train with you in the middle of the day every week. And I was like, okay, cool. Still like not buying it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then the first, like I didn't check in at all. And then the day that she said she was coming to take class next, I show up at the gym like 10 or 15 minutes early when I normally would. And she's standing outside with like her little backpack on waiting to, to, to come to Rock and Roll. I was like, oh, like, okay, this person has follow through. And, you know, from then on, like we got to like working together. Um, she was taking class. She was also like, I was learning a lot from trying to teach her, not just teach her how to teach, but also teach somebody who, who comes from the background she comes from and has this education that she has in, and has learned about movement in a way totally different from where I have, you know, through the dance world. So it was all amazing. And then we got to know each other by training together in the middle of the day, you know, um, once or twice a week. And we talked a lot about books that we had read. We were sharing ideas about books and it was just these like great training sessions and these great conversations. And when we had to close the gym down physically, you know, it was a, a real heartbreak for me to get to lose that, you know, that piece. Cause I really looked forward to that. Um, but we had gotten to the point where we were like, Oh, like the gym is busy. I want to like integrate you into teaching. So right around April is when we were starting to like be in thinking about formulating a plan. Emily was actually going to be teaching the weekend uh, that I was leaving to go to Tom's workshop in San Francisco. And I had to cancel that because everything was getting crazy in the world in, in, in March. Um, and that was going to be her first, like, I think it was like three or four days, like holding down the fort solo yep. act. And that Thursday, uh, the last class that we had inside the space, Emily actually taught the very last class inside the Movement Brooklyn gym. Yep. Um, right. So that was like the, the, 
the, the crescendo, but it was supposed to be so much bigger. I just realized that I was going to be away again in June this past weekend. And we had talked about you teaching for like seven to 10 days or something. Yep. Um, but yeah, sorry, that's my long winded intro, but I just wanted to make people make sure people understand like where we're coming from. And also like, um, I don't know what I, I'm really just like a big fan of, of you and the way you see things and, and your attitude and your talent and, and all of it. So I just want to make sure that that was clear and like why we were going in the direction. Where I was like, this is the person that I I've spent all these years working by myself. And I'm like, this is the person who's going to like do some teaching here. Mm -hmm. um, so along the way we got to chatting and I got to learn a lot about Emily and before like really exploring movement in a broader way and before teaching pole and before teaching Pilates, Emily uh, did Irish dance, which I always thought was really interesting because there's a certain rigidness to Irish dance, at least the way that I see it, that was so different from like the way she moves now. Um, but I think it's actually a really interesting jumping off point because I don't think I'll ever get another Irish dancer on here. Uh, <laughs> Possibly. So I know, I know a few. <laughs> Well, then maybe we'll have to go that direction. Maybe we'll just do a full series of Irish dancers. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> so how about you kind of start with that background and, and, and where you were at in life and how you, you found yourself dancing Irish dance and dancing in a company and, and whatever, what that was like? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump off from there. So when I was younger, I have, I have two sisters and my mom signed us up for dance classes along with other extracurriculars just to kind of like throw shit at the fan and see what stuck. Um, and she took us to a local dance school. I grew up in Southern California that had like the typical jazz ballet tap. And there just happened to be a teacher teaching Irish step dancing classes there who was from Ireland. She had this little crew and at the first dance recital for the school, it was mostly small children running around the stage in a disorganized fashion. And then the little like step dancers came out on stage and they were organized. They were doing all their steps together and really coordinated. So my mom was like, yes, I'm gonna sign my kids up for that. Um, and that turned into basically 18 years of my uh, youth committed to, to Irish step dancing as my main hobby. And I think um, there were a few times that I quit or changed dance schools, but I think I was really addicted to the, the rhythm of it. It's a very rhythmic dance form. It's highly energetic, like in the modern competitive Irish dance realm. Uh, you do, at a competition, you do two to three rounds of really short, like a minute to a minute and a half long dances that are intense footwork the entire way through and you're just exhausted by the end of this minute and a half. And I think I enjoyed that intensity. Um, and I really liked the community. The school that I went to insisted that all of the students, if they were going to participate in competitions um, and perform on stage, they had to participate in teams because there's all these traditional Irish group dances. Um, so you had to, to learn to compete in these team dances, which meant you had to interact with other people um, and, and learn how to communicate. And so it just lent itself to this really like great team atmosphere that I enjoyed a lot. Um, but I think at some time in my youth, I really, really craved a dance form or some means of physical expression that wasn't so rigid um, because I don't know how many people here or listening later are familiar with Irish step dancing. Um, 
there's there's more traditional forms of Irish step dancing. Um, if you look up Sean Nos, recommend that. It's a little bit more like loose bodied and closer to tap dance, but the like modern competitive Irish step dancing world is very like upright, stiff posture, arms glued to your side while your feet move really fast. Um, and while it's very impressive and rhythmic, for me, there was something about it that was <laughs> lacking because it, it just as a movement practice, right? It's, it's, expertise in one thing like I was really good at moving my feet fast and jumping without bending my knees which is not a great thing for one's body um, but I didn't really explore any other dance forms in in high school in fact I think there was a certain point where I I couldn't do a pull-up let alone a push-up I couldn't even do a push-up my arms were so weak because I was so focused on like this lower body dance movement um, so when I went to college, that's when I started exploring other dance forms um, or looking into other like fitness and movement things that might pique my interest. I first, I did my first year of college at Boston University. I had entered for a physical therapy program that I thought I would be interested in. And turns out I hated Boston, but I did take as many classes as I could in their dance department. And that's where I took my first jazz dance class. So I was first introduced to, to spinal waves, which was totally new to my body. And I've ended up transferring to a school in LA, Occidental College, um, that didn't really have a dance department. I think the dance department was within the athletics department or something like that. Um, they had maybe, maybe like two or three teachers, but the teachers that they, they did have were I think really pivotal for me in opening my eyes to other other ways of movement and expression. Um, there was a ballet teacher. I remember taking my first ballet class and just trying to like arch my back and all the muscles in my back cramping up. And I think for someone who had done one type of movement for so long, I was I felt like I was an you know not an expert, but I felt like I was a good mover or a strong person. So suddenly being aware of like all of these weak spots in my body or these things that I was unaware of was really eye-opening. Um, and I also started taking Pilates classes and yoga classes, which were such a contrast from the like high impact way that I was used to moving. I was like putting my hands on the floor and having teachers make slight adjustments to my alignment that would make all of the sensations in my body feel totally different. Um, and then I also had another a teacher in college, Anindo Marshall, who runs a dance company in LA. It's mostly the work of Catherine Dunham, um, who had one of the first African-American uh, dance troupes. And she created this, um, created this style of dance called Dunham Technique. And so the, my teacher Anindo would teach Dunham Technique. She would teach different like West African dance forms. And those had the same kind of like high intensity that I craved, but they, they required like a whole different level of strength, like getting off the floor, like coming back down to the floor, like doing really aggressive movements with your upper body and spine for extended periods of time, like dance pieces that were 10 minutes long. Mm -hmm. um, so I think starting to, to dabble in all of these things in college really opened my eyes um, to both how much more I was capable of, but also like how little I knew about using my body or teaching. Cause up to that point, I started teaching dance classes at my Irish dance school from, I think I was about 13 or 14 when I started teaching the younger kids, um, which I think was really important for me as a, as a teacher. Cause I was a kid who had terrible social anxiety. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and, and my teacher, when I came up to her and I was like, you know what, I think I really want to teach. And she looked at me, she's like, you're going to have to speak. <laughs> um, well, this is something you always said, like when we were working together, you'd, you'd often like use the word introvert to like refer to yourself. Yeah. And I can see it because like, you're like quietly confident, mm -hmm. but when you, when you're talking, it's not like you feel, it, it never feels like you're retreating. It always feels like you have, you, you have more to say. Yeah. You know? So like, I, I can see why like, you're like, yeah, I want to teach. Let's do it. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's funny because I was also always very, very shy in contexts where it was just like, there are a lot of unknown factors, like having a normal conversation with other kids at school was anxiety ridden. But if I had to um, speak publicly or teach something that I, I, a topic I already knew well, I was pretty, pretty confident in my own voice. So I think that's a reason that I took naturally both to both to teaching and to dance, because mm -hmm. in my eyes, dance is just another form of communication. Um, and so if you feel more confident in your body and the things that it can express than you do in your voice, like I, I think there's a certain like sector of dancers who who perhaps gravitate to dance for that mm -hmm. for that reason. Well that's what yeah. Tom said what Tom was talking about that as well. Mm -hmm. He was talking about um, when I asked him why he did jujitsu as a dancer. Mm -hmm. Some mm -hmm. people in jujitsu might be like, "Oh, why would a dancer, or vice versa?" And he said that it was really just originally about exploring another way of communicating. Yeah, that you couldn't seem to find in dance. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the world the world of dance, right, is so is so broad. And mm -hmm. you can say someone comes from a dance background, but I've had so many such a huge variety of experiences in the dance world, right? Mm -hmm. um, like I think there's a couple, there's a couple of dance styles that I can call myself more of, that that I feel like qualified to teach. Right? I did the Irish step dancing for a long time, and now I've done pole dancing for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I've had enough experience in those that I speak with a lot of confidence, or I can teach, teach mm -hmm. pretty well. Um, but there's so many different ways to approach dance, and if you go into like some different style or lineage of dance. I've had so many different experiences with how people approach it um, or how people teach it or how people teach improvised movement within it or how, how dancers or dance instructors instruct their students to create balance in their bodies or cross train in all these different ways. Um, and I've also had such mixed experiences of feeling uh, welcome within a classroom, which I think has also shaped my teaching a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I spent a lot of my time in college, I was studying kinesiology, but I also had this internal struggle with feeling like, ah, oh, this is not what I should be doing. I should be like running away to join the circus or just spending all this time I'm spending studying, learning new dance skills. Cause what I really want to do is just move my body all the time. I want to figure out some way. Well, and it's also interesting. Cause like, I think for some people who might listen, <clears throat> and maybe people who have spent a lot of time doing movement or whatever might think like, oh, well, that seems like a, a match made in heaven. She's studying kinesiology and she's dancing all the time. But in some ways, they're these very like, in some ways they're opposing forces, but they kind of, they work together. Mm -hmm. But like, I think when your mind is going in one or the other, they, they almost feel like they clash, you know, like kinesiology is so like about like, the logic and the organization mm -hmm. and, and moving in, in, in linearity. 
and dance is is softer and and more artistic and and in some ways more whimsical like mm-hmm. the, the, the they go in different directions and I, and I assume even more so in like a university setting yeah for sure i mean the the contrast i think is so so evident right when you're studying something that's a science and you're looking like instead of just you know i went went there to study movement, but then when you, what you end up studying is, you know, first like organic chemistry and cellular biology and all of these other things. And you slowly build the pieces in a way that feels very linear. And when you're studying dance, it's all about everything else, the possibilities, the nuances. Um, so it feels using like- using words like imagination and sensation. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I always find, I mean, I feel like in, in most things in life, there's things exist in polarities and what seem like kind of opposing things are actually the necessary parts of, of, of truth. Um, mm-hmm. And in the same way that like, I feel like that's a reason I'm attracted to both a lot of the like science of movement, but also I feel like I, if I go too far in that direction, I feel like I'm missing out on, on just like the exploration and the whimsical and the joy and play and all of all the rest that comes along with movement as well. Well, that's why it's like you see, I mean, I've come across a lot of physical therapists who mm-hmm. can't move, like they can't. Mm-hmm. And then you come across a lot of people who are really just deep into dance, but they're like, they're beat up and hurt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it's like, you're talking about, it's like, but it's almost like you need to like live a little bit to be like, Oh, this, this, connects this comes together yeah there's Mm -hmm. this synergy here that's really helpful and I feel like I sometimes vacillate back and forth between being more in one end of the practice that's a little bit more like linear or intellectual versus the end that's a little bit more like creative or circular Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's funny you reminded me I have a friend who's a chiropractor and he he also does pole dance and he also has like a background in parkour and kung fu and he's one of those people who is highly critical of the chiropractic world because Mm -hmm. it's full of a lot of people who who can't move who Mm -hmm. have forgotten how to walk in in bare feet Um, parts of their body have just fallen asleep because they don't use them right but they don't they don't lead from the front yeah yeah they're not like jump out there and like do it you know yeah or or it's not so much that they're not leading from the front but they've found a very isolated way to address a problem that's not looking at the bigger picture that the problem is encapsulated within right so yeah go ahead go ahead ahead. no you finish go for it um i think we've we've had conversations oh i lost it it's okay okay (laughs) I'm, I want to know more about like the, the dance progression, right? Because even when we met, you know, you were just like bouncing around and doing like, I'm going and trying this dance class. I'm trying that dance class Mm -hmm. for somebody who has such like wide interests. And again, like a real passion for teaching. What, what then was it that like, stuck to you about pole dancing? What was it that like got you there and maybe a little bit about how you arrived there? Yeah, yeah, I can definitely talk about that. Um, so I was, I was talking about how in college I was studying kinesiology, um, but I really wanted to dance all the time. So I, I started going to different dance studios in LA, um, which was really incredibly intimidating because most of my dance background was, was a style that is not, not, you know, important in the commercial dance world of, of studios in LA. So I was, I was going to this studio and trying tap classes because I figured that was 
at least more similar to the dance style I had been doing and trying beginner jazz classes and beginner ballet. And mm -hmm. even, in, even in classes titled beginner, Mm -hmm. uh, when you live in LA or, or, or New York, tend to, tend to expect a certain base level of knowledge or experience in that form. So a lot of the times I'd find myself going to these dance classes, like panicking halfway through that I wasn't picking up the choreography quickly enough and like leaving class early or, or driving to the studio, parking my car and just feeling so anxious about, about going into the studio that I would, I would leave. Because um, mm. I think the, the dance world, especially when it's um, the dance world of, of kids who've grown up dancing and they want to get into a company or dance commercially, it tends to be highly competitive. And so the class atmosphere tends to be, tends to be really kind of competitive and intimidating. Um, and sometimes the, the, the teaching isn't necessarily designed for people who are beginners as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, things aren't broken down in a way sometimes that, that an adult beginner has an easy time picking up. Mm -hmm. um, so I had all this anxiety around trying to learn the things that I really wanted to learn. Um, so I, I tried a few other things, like I would go to a random kickboxing class, or I found an aerial studio in LA and did their, their beginner, like introduction to aerial that was a little bit of trapeze and silks. So I was starting mm -hmm. to dabble in other areas of movement, just kind of trying to find what, what would stick. What is right. the- In these places that are like really more welcoming of adult beginners. Exactly. Right, exactly. like, you, you know, there's, yeah, like anyone who's doing a lot of those things like um, kickboxing or uh, uh, the silks, it's like, right. if they're an adult and they have an experience, they're probably like been in the circus or they're like an amateur fighter or something. Right. So like these programs, like, you know, that are built for the larger community, it's like beginner is real beginner. Exactly. Um, so that, that felt a lot more welcoming and I got, it was a lot more satisfying to, to go to those kinds of, of classes and actually feel like I was picking something up. Like I wasn't just running behind or I know it was also a lot of my own personal anxiety that would make me feel in dance classes. Like everybody's watching me, everybody's judging me. Um, mm -hmm. But the atmosphere was just welcoming in these other kinds of environments. I ended up moving, <laughs> while I was in LA, I had my first professional dance job that just happened, there happened to be a show that opened up in Anaheim near Disneyland mm -hmm. um, that needed Irish dancers. And I was like, well, finally, I have, I have relevant dance experience. Um, it ended, it was a show called Battle of the Dance. It was terrible. The concept of the show was uh, Irish dancers battling flamenco dancers. Wow. Um, Can we find this on YouTube? Possibly, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's some old like promo material out there. The show didn't last, I think more than two years and I quit eight months in, um, but it, it was poorly run. We didn't have enough rehearsal time. We weren't being paid for part of our rehearsal time. The flooring they had was just like plywood over concrete. It was terrible for our knees. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was like a whole mess. And I was having this crisis where I was like, wow, I thought I wanted to be a professional dancer. And like, this is a terrible job. Like, I hate this. I'm, I'm dancing. I'm like wearing my knees out six nights a week, two shows on Saturdays. I have one day off and I'm exhausted and I hate this. So what was the, so when you say that you, you did all these shows, what was the schedule? Like when you're working professionally, was there like rehearsal times as well? Was there stuff that you were expected to do during the day or were, what, what, what was that like? So I think my, my experience is definitely not representative of people who dance in, in, in other professional companies or Broadway shows. Like this was, mm -hmm. this was definitely a poorly run operation. Mm -hmm. uh, we would occasionally like once a week 
be called in early to rehearse. And that would, that would usually involve like going over certain numbers or things that needed slight choreographic changes um, and get getting feedback from, from the dance captains. Mm -hmm. um, but any, any accessory training was, I did strictly on my own, like me staying, staying in shape or taking care of my body, mm -hmm. I did by myself. And so I think at that point, um, like if a show ended at 10, and because it was in Anaheim, I lived in LA, I would get home at 11 or midnight. Mm -hmm. I would wake up the next day at 10 because I mm -hmm. would usually need 10 hours of sleep. I would go to a yoga class. I would go to an African dance class and then I would hop in the carpool back to, to Anaheim to, wow. to dance in a two hour show um, wow. after doing makeup and everything. So it was, it was an exhausting schedule. Um, and any, any dance education or, or training that I was doing was my own choice. Mm -hmm. um, at that time. So this was immediately after college and I decided I hated that and I didn't want to live in LA and drive my car around anymore. So I moved up to Portland, Oregon, just kind mm -hmm. of on a whim. I told, I had gotten my Pilates certification at this point and I just told some studios up there like, hey, I'm moving, do you want to hire me? <laughs> um, and managed to get enough work to, to kind of justify moving there. But my side goal was to find, Portland happens to have a lot of different aerial dance schools. Um, so I wanted to find one that I fit into. And in the first couple of weeks that I'm there, I like tried classes in a couple places, um, asked about different training programs they had, and then was reading the local weekly newspaper and saw an ad for a pole dancing class. Mm -hmm. And my first thought that popped in my head when I saw the ad was, I would never try that. <laughs> well, I should give it a go. Mm -hmm. um, so I think at that point I was much, much less confident in my body or the way I moved. Um, and so I went to my first class and in a pole dance class, in order for your skin to stick to the pole, it has to be exposed. If you're wearing clothing, if you're wearing fabric, it won't stick to the pole. So I had right. to like- It's, it's not just, it's not just an it's aesthetic, like this is right. necessary to be able to do the thing. Exactly. Right. Um, so I got to my- the class I had to wear like my sports bra and my shorts and I was so uncomfortable and there's mirrors everywhere and I'm just kind of hiding from myself. Mm -hmm. And this ad I had seen was for 50% off an eight week course. I was like, I'm going to try it. So I get there the first class. It was so painful. I felt so uncomfortable. We learned to sit on the pole where you're basically just crossing your legs and the poles between your thighs. And the mm -hmm. first time you try it, it feels like it's like ripping your skin off. <laughs> and so I think if I hadn't already signed up for that course, I would have quit right then and there. I'm like, this is not worth, this is way too painful. It's not worth my time. Right. Um, but I'd signed up for the course. So I kept going at the end of it. The, uh, the owner was the person instructing that class. And she was like, we really need someone to work the front desk. And I was like, well, mm -hmm. I, I need more work. Like I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Which meant I got to continue taking classes there, mm -hmm. which I also think I wouldn't have continued taking classes there if I hadn't gotten that job. And so for me, pole dancing was not something I was actually really attracted to right away. It was just mm -hmm. a thing that I tried on a whim. Mm -hmm. um, but that studio also gave me an opportunity to perform in like a student showcase pretty quickly. And I realized, I think it in part has to do with the fact that there's a lot of stigma around pole dancing, mm -hmm. right? It comes from stripping, it comes from sex work. So people mm -hmm. like, especially in conservative America, think it's like, dirty or wrong or whatever. So there tends to be more stigma around it, which I think is, has been changing a lot in the last eight years that I've been doing it. Right. Um, so I think for that reason, it tends to, 
I think it's just an interesting start because it's allowed for a lot of different people to add their own style or influence onto this one apparatus. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the pole dance kind of industry at large, there's been some, some like argu arguments between people who want to kind of distance themselves from the like sexy or sexual aspect of pole dancing or people who just want it to seem athletic. But I think overall people have brought a lot of different influence to it, which mm -hmm. is something I love. And I realized pretty early, I was like, oh, I can, I can do this and make it my own thing. Right, um, because the rigidity hadn't, ha still hasn't been like layered onto it, right? Right. I like mean, I think- not Like, well, these are the specific forms. This is this. No, you don't, you know, your leg can't go that way because like we stick to like this exact form. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think pe people still teach different styles obviously within it or techniques or disciplines. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, it's obviously a lot less restrictive than if you went to a ballet class perhaps. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, these are not, these are not movements that you do inside the ballet class. I think there was a lot more freedom. And the second, second thing that I think really appealed to me or that was really new to me um, was that improvisation was a huge part of most of the classes that I went to. And doing our step dancing like that had never been a part of my dance experience. I was first introduced to improvising in a top class where I like almost had a heart attack because I was not prepared to suddenly mm -hmm. improvise in the middle of class. Um, but in pole dancing, because it's, its roots are like basically an improvisational dance form. And I think a lot of, I'm realizing a lot of my favorite dance forms mm -hmm. are have stemmed from improvisational types of movement. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in every class, uh, in most classes I've taken in the pole world at the end of class or sometimes at the beginning there'll be some element of freestyling and mm -hmm. sometimes sometimes it's instructed sometimes there's different cues given um, and sometimes it's just kind of free form do what you want the instructor will turn on music mm -hmm. um, but that was the first time I started feeling like the way that I was moving wasn't wrong right and there was there was less there wasn't this aspect of like shame on doing things wrong right. because there was no, no, no wrong way of moving in that context. You could, you could move weird, you can move sexy, you could move however you want, you can move offbeat. Um, mm. And, and I never had an instructor like tell me that the way that I was moving was, was incorrect, at least in the freestyle context. Obviously when it came to technique or doing the aerial aspects right. of pole, there was a lot more. Right. a lot more restriction or, or wrong ways to do things. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I think that was, that was a huge turning point for me in movement. It, it got me to build a lot of strength that I didn't have before. And mm -hmm. it, I was building strength in a way that was fun mm -hmm. and, and made me curious. And I wasn't just doing push-ups or pull-ups in a gym. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I realized like after a year of pole dancing, I was like, oh, I can do a pull-up. I've never been able to do one of these before. Right. So there was this aspect of like play and curiosity and freedom to pull um, that I think was really, really liberating for me. Yeah. When you talk about like, you know, like that you were attracted to communication, that like mm -hmm. that was like this really important piece to you. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like when I think of like <clears throat> things that are stuck in forms and don't have improvisation, mm -hmm. that's not really communication really right communication mm -hmm. is like you and I are having a dialogue right and it's right. like it's spontaneous mm -hmm. whereas like something that's like oh well here's the whatever the routine or, or the yeah, exact form yeah you're like you're delivering a speech or something or a lecture 
Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you're like having something that's more here and now that's honest to like what's what's going on that you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's like an, an honesty level to it that's that I think can be really intimidating. Like as, as an instructor, it's depending on the setting or the type of class I teach in pole. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can try to instruct somebody to improvise. And I think when it's when it's someone who's new to the new to the form or new to the class or new to the community you're teaching within, giving mm-hmm. people giving people a lot of restrictions. Like I know you know this from from the classes that you've taught or instructing people to improvise floor work, that yeah. the people feel safer if you give them restrictions mm-hmm. um, on their movement. Whether it's a, uh, you know, I tend to in group classes go with a lot of different physical cues when I'm teaching mm-hmm. improvisation. So maybe a restriction is like, you have to keep both hands on the pole or you can't mm-hmm. move your feet from where they are on the floor. And so then people have to just explore other possibilities and mm-hmm. that makes them feel a lot safer because they don't have to choose from the entire universe of possibilities. Yeah, well, that's, that's a really hard thing where it's just like, oh, hey, here's like when, when we did Tom's class, he calls it clean paper, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> where it's like, no forms, just mm-hmm. go. Don't yeah. go to your techniques, don't go to your forms, just do, do whatever. And I yeah. think for some people, they're like, that's crippling. Yeah, it's terrifying. Right? Um, but you're, you're bringing up this thing. I forget who asked it last week, talking about using constraints as like a creative tool. But that's what you're talking about as well. Exactly. It's like, first, it's like for beginners, it's a bit of a safety net, but it's also an opportunity to like, for real exploration. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you said, like if you're practicing and you're like, oh, I'm going to do the next two songs and both hands have to stay attached to the pole. Mm-hmm it's going to be a lot different than if you're like, oh, well, I can do whatever I want. And like, whatever you kind of come through in your head is going to be a little more interesting at some points. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At some points, I think for me, when I, my practice of freestyling or improvisation goes through these waves are kind of like I was talking about earlier. Sometimes I'm practicing more technique Mm -hmm. or working on my strength. Sometimes I'm working more in this improvisational realm. Um, And I think I, especially when I'm training on my own, when I'm training or dancing with people in a group setting, Mm -hmm. it's much easier for me to stay focused or feed off of other people's energy. When I'm working by myself, um, I tend to get distracted by the million different possibilities. So sometimes if I'm, say, giving myself some freestyle cues on my own, I'll, I'll go in with the intention that uh, maybe I'm working on just hitting hitting this one like beat in the music, like working with the the bass, or maybe it's a completely different um, exercise, and I'm I'm just focused more on the movement in my spine or leading from my head. Um, and when I'm training on my own, I can give myself those very specific cues, but mm. I'll often start to drift off into other ideas. Like I'm focusing on my spine, my attention goes to my hand and suddenly I'm way more interested in how my hand feels, which I think can be a, a, a useful exercise. Mm. Um, just allowing your attention to float from place to place and just noticing it mm-hmm. kind of like a meditative practice. Um, but when it comes to, to creating and exploring, it's also so helpful sometimes to, to force yourself to stick to those boundaries because you'll discover, discover things you wouldn't have if you just let your attention go, go to where it was, right? Because your brain will, will often just follow, follow the pathways and grooves that you've, you've dug in most deeply. Right. Um, 
But this is yeah. an issue like, you know, like I, I can relate to <clears throat> teaching like the, the floor work or the locomotion or something mm-hmm. and from taking class, you know, it's like I would do, I'd get, you know, we'd learn whatever, three to five or three to seven movements and build in, do some sort of improv, improvised flow using just those movements. And it creates that, it's not just a, a safety net, but it's also like, oh, here are your constraints to work around. Because I've been there where I've been like, okay, well, everything you know, take it and run with it. And, and, yeah. and it's like a bunch of deer in the headlights, yeah. right? Because not everybody has this time or these opportunities that you're talking about to just be like, oh, I'm going to like play some music and I'm going to just think about my spine or I'm just going to think about, you know, my right foot or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's really valuable tools that you're talking about for people who are looking to explore a little bit further, like, you know, adding some, some other tools to, to benefit their improvisation outside of like the fixed forms that they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's so many different ways you can approach improvising. Um, And I think for me, thinking about people's, people's comfort level with it, is interesting. It's one of the things I've noticed in in other other dance classes um, that I've taken. Granted, my my breadth of experience in other dance forms tends to be kind of really really limited compared to my my experience in pole dancing. And every instructor is so different. But a lot of like say other like street or hip hop dance forms or house dance, which I started taking some house dance classes this year. Um, will often approach, I've found, same thing with tap, when I, when I had a min- minimal experience with improvisation and tap, it's often like a conversation or exchange where you'll, you'll like get in a circle, maybe, maybe the parameters are like you, you're dancing for, for two eight counts of music mm-hmm. um, and your parameters are you know, that particular style that you're dancing within. Um, but when you're not used to that particular style, that can be really intimidating. So I've definitely taken dance classes where it's like, okay, now it's time to freestyle. And I'm just like, oh shit, like this is new to me. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to quell the panic and fear. But I also know that if I'm fearful of something, I'll mm-hmm. probably gross in some way by doing it. Um, but because I know that that can have a level of panic for other people, I found it it really helpful to 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 work with these kind of parameters. And I have, I'm lucky to have a lot of other teachers or peers who have taught a lot more improvisation or freestyle in the, in the pole dance world. And I, I tried in one, in one of the last classes I taught before this quarantine, I tried working with this um, idea of an exchange or a conversation when dancing with pole. Mm-hmm. But I think in the pole world, it's often so like people have their apparatus to themselves and it's a very individual dance form. Mm-hmm. So when I tried to get students to like face one another on their individual apparatus and and move with an exchange, dancing one at a time or dancing together and treating it mm-hmm. like it was a conversation, it mm-hmm. was it got really mixed results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people, That's interesting though. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I would like to do more of that when I'm in a setting with with students again um, or just interacting with other dancers. I've, I've done it in a setting with other instructors where, where the freestyle game was just influence, where mm-hmm. we wouldn't be necessarily copying one another, mm-hmm. but if you saw something out of the corner of your eye that interested you, maybe it was just like a, 
a reach of someone's arm and you mm. mimicked that with your arm, or maybe you made the same kind of sweep with your leg, but it's, I find that really interesting to watch groups improvising together where, where the game is just being influenced by one another, which, which perhaps I think is easier when, when that whole group has, has more experience or, or even just similar experience in the, in the type of movements that they're doing. Because a lot of, a lot of regular people, it's like, they want like exact answers. To, mm -hmm. Right. We've talked a little bit about this mm -hmm. and, and, and these kind of things don't have exact answers. Yeah. Like I'm just throwing an idea out there, like a thing we're going to like research together. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah. like a lot of people, especially when they see themselves as customers, they're like, no, no, I want to learn the thing. Tell me exactly how to do it. And you're like, you know, I can show you techniques, but techniques don't mean that you can do this. Yeah. Right. It means you can do techniques. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think for the longest time, me doing Irish step dancing, I felt like I was a dancer, but I also felt like I couldn't dance. If someone just was like going to turn on some music and say like groove mm -hmm. on the dance floor, I would still be super uncomfortable or I wouldn't feel like I could express myself. Um, but I think that's because a lot of our Western white society tends to prioritize this like very linear way of thinking and moving because you can, you can, you can put it in a little package and you can sell it. Right. Uh, and so I think a lot of people, like I grew up this way, being very afraid of things that I couldn't, that I felt like I couldn't do. Um, yeah, Cause you're made to feel like you're not supposed to fail. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and failing is bad. You'll be judged for failing. You won't get the right grade. Um, and I was a kid who did, who did well in school and got good grades. And I fucking hated school because it was all based on grades and I wasn't really able to follow, follow the things that I was curious about. So I think a lot of my, a lot of the things that I practice in movement now are just things that I get curious about, mm -hmm. um, which I think on the one end can lead, lead to distraction and this, this kind of sense of not being just, mm -hmm. but I, I definitely don't lack in work ethic. So I've, I've found that part of my retraining my own brain and thinking when it comes to practicing or training in movement or dance of any kind is I have to let myself not be, not be good at all of the things all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just allow myself sometimes to just be curious about one thing. Like right now in, in quarantine, I, my roommate and I have a pole in our apartment, but the room is very small. A lot of the, the types of moves I love doing involve extending your body pretty far away from the pole. And it's very difficult to do that in the space we have. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes those limitations, I'm like, okay, I can work within those limitations and figure out what things I can practice that involve me staying closer to the pole. But I just haven't been that excited about mm -hmm. those possibilities. So mm -hmm. I've found myself uh, just getting curious about other things. Like I, I signed up for a course that's a floor work course, um, but it's the, the woman teaching it has mostly a, a breakdance background. Mm -hmm. So it's so, some moves I'm familiar with, some, some moves and transitions are totally brand new. And so mm -hmm. it's been really fun to just be like, all right, I signed up for this course and I'm gonna focus on this way and see, see what, what holes in my movement it fills in and where it makes me more curious. I've been doing that and also taking these online Muay Thai classes, which is very different from actually taking a class in person and like actually punching bags or pads or interacting with people. Um, but it's still been, I think, like a high intensity thing yeah. that's been a nice contrast to, to other ways that I was moving that were a little bit more like grounded or flowy. It's been nice to have something that's a little bit more, uh, 
like dynamic, I guess. So with your approach to poll, because I, I think I asked you about this once, but I do forget what, how you answered it. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the just totally like my observations in poll is there's a lot of people who kind of lean into like calisthenics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought of like the work that you do and now after kind of hearing about this, that it's a, a lot more of like the integration of like all these other dance forms that you've learned mm-hmm. into pole dancing. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you kind of like, maybe not a complete outlier, but are you like among some outliers who like lean in a slightly different direction or am I just seeing it? I, I don't know. It's hard for me. I think mean, there's no like scientific studies about the, the popularity of different styles within the pole dance world. Um, I don't know that I'm an outlier. I think, I mean, I'm highly influenced by other, other pole dancers whose style I like. Um, and I would tend to describe their style as a little bit more like circular and spirally and focused on ways that you rotate around the pole versus um, I think there's also maybe another realm of pole dancers who tends to come more from like a gymnastics background where things are a little bit more linear and strength and trick based Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I don't know if I'm less attracted to that just because I don't have I don't have a history of upper body strength that makes those things well let's not get anybody wrong here like you're extremely strong I mean listen (laughs) I think I think like one of the last classes we had you and you were doing legless rope climbs that's that's true I (laughs) my upper body is strong at this point um but I think the I just haven't haven't been attracted to to doing the training that would be required of me to do some of the like crazy flips and more more like linear tricks on the pole that that people do. Um, yeah, so I think the question was like, am I am I an outlier? Not so much. There's there's a lot of people doing a lot of different and interesting things mm-hmm. with pole. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, was that the question? <laughs> yeah, well, that was always the thing that I I. I appreciate it was that it was like it's a it's not just leaning into like you know bar stars all the time mm-hmm. that there was like yeah. you know there was definitely like a really heavy eclectic dance influence mm-hmm. and yeah. and I always thought that was really interesting and I didn't know because I don't know the world enough that I was like oh is this how a lot of people are or is it just the way that I I've seen it um so I know that in poll there's a lot of, there's a huge world of like competition, like competitive pull. I don't know if that is when someone's a professional or, or how that works, but you've competed a, a few times or there was a time where you competed. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about existing in the world of competition and why it's something that at least now doesn't interest you as much? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I did my very first pole competition maybe five or six years ago around my like two or three year mark of doing pole and i think after having done a competitive dance form for so long and knowing the kind of anxiety uh, that brought up in me i wasn't sure i wanted to and when i entered this competition um, i was training a lot but i didn't have a lot of like mentorship or guidance when it came to creating the dance piece because i choreographed it all on my own i chose the music on my own um, I trained on my own. I didn't really have a good structure for how I was training and building the piece. It ended up being me like basically cramming a lot on the last week before the competition. Um, the day of the the material the poles were made out of was chrome instead of stainless steel. So it was a metal I wasn't used to working with. Um, 
and I ended up like slipping on a lot of the moves I was supposed to do. Um, and I was really upset with my performance. It's a relatively small competition. So I still, still got third place. So I was happy with myself for that, but it really turned me off of competing. So it was such an anxiety ridden experience and I wasn't happy with what I put on stage. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't compete for another, uh, another few years. And during that time, I finally got used to, uh, right, during, during my, my pole career, I feel like was when Instagram started being like a really budding uh, social media platform. And, but I was really uncomfortable taking video of myself moving or dancing. So I would be so judgmental. And I think I finally got to the point where I realized like, oh, this is actually a very, very useful tool when it comes to when it comes to creating movement or um, I finally, finally got to the mindset where, where I could move, either create something and video it or freestyle and video it and not, not just have like a very intensely critical voice in my head. Right. Um, so I think, I think that comfort with watching myself dance and realizing that the more that I watched myself dance, the more I could create dance the way I wanted to or create movement that was appealing to me Mm -hmm. um, so I think the more and more comfortable that I got with my own movement and excited I got about the way that I was expressing myself, I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll try another competition. Mm -hmm. um, I, I felt like my mindset was finally there where I wouldn't let a competition kind of de de destroy my, my mood for, for the week leading up to it or destroy my ego if I didn't do as well as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was a couple of years ago that I did these uh, three different competitions um, and I ended up getting second place in all of them, mm -hmm. which was a result I was very happy with. Um, but I think for me, if I'm, if I'm ever going to compete again, um, I, far, I, I appreciate that a competition pushes me to, to be better or perhaps execute skills cleaner or some, some competitions will have requirements for like certain types of move you're supposed to do. So I appreciate that challenge aspect of it. Um, but if I'm going to do well in a competition or be on stage, I know for me it has to be because I'm going to enjoy being mm -hmm. on stage. When it, when it comes to performing outside of a competition, I love being on stage. Mm -hmm. um, I love having that kind of energetic interaction with an audience. I love feeling like I'm communicating. I think for all the competitions I did, regardless of how I placed, my favorite part was when a couple people would come up to me after and be like, oh, I started crying in the middle or like, oh my God, I loved that part when you did this thing and it made me think of this thing. Like that, that kind of interchange um, or communication is- and That's the communication you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For, mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's all about that. And I think, think for the movement realms that I'm interested in now, it's always kind of filling, either filling in the gaps physically, things that I'm not, not as strong at, or I also want to become a better storyteller with the way I move, because I feel like I'm skilled at evoking emotions, just kind of in a like amorphous sense. But I think when it comes to storytelling, which requires a little bit more things set up, um, like, like a little bit more linear thinking I'm not as good at that I don't know what that will require from me but mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm to ever compete again it will have to be because it's something I'm curious about and will get joy from can you um so is there like a big world of professional um 
dancing that's happening just in the in a performance setting and like where does that happen like where you know where where do people go and watch pole is it like it like burlesque shows or is it is, are there venues that where it's like that's strictly the thing i mean um, it's a it's a whole mix of things it's definitely like if you're not a stripper the the options for performing pole are a lot more limited mm -hmm. and then there's also pole that's a little bit more within a circus context like i think there's actually some Cirque du Soleil shows that have pole dancing mm -hmm. um like actual metal poles which is a different Mm -hmm. um, discipline than Chinese pole, which if you don't know what that is, I highly recommend looking at Chinese pole. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think depends a lot on location too. Like New York city, I think is a, is a great place for off the beaten path, uh, you know, like physical modes of entertainment. Cause there's, I mean, who, who knows what this is going to look like in the coming future? Cause a lot of performance venues I think are going to be really, mm -hmm hit hard by this pandemic but in, in New York City there's there's people producing smaller shows some of them are I don't know they all have different focuses a lot of there's a lot of overlap with the burlesque world there's a show I've performed in um, called stick a pole in it that overlaps this is another way that we connect with the with the stand-up comedy world where it's right. a good friend of mine produces that show. yeah exactly um mm -hmm. so there's yeah I think it's there's not a highly well-established um, route to performing um, mm -hmm. in pole dance if you're not a stripper, mm -hmm. um, which is which is interesting. I don't know. Um, I would it's like. True. It's like. Um, yeah. I don't know. I always come back because it's like. I don't know. I I always feel like you and I have talked about this. Like dance and martial arts are just so closely related and intertwined in a lot of ways. And uh, like, I think about jujitsu, you know, and, and people are like, it's so, it, in so many ways, it's so new because people ask like, oh, why isn't jujitsu in the Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. It's like this massive, like global movement, but it's like, it's still new and people are learning things about it. It's not, it hasn't been around, or Brazilian jujitsu hasn't been around for the thousands of years to like create its like perfect mm -hmm. little box that like it fits in you know right like, or like one organization that yeah exactly it's like i don't i don't know a ton but i don't think a lot of new things happen in judo so like right. the same thing i think goes for probably irish dancing i'm sure there isn't much new stuff that arrives right i don't i, right. I don't know it's like there's like a lot of these like fixed forms that people stick yeah. to or like particular big productions or shows or competitions that people do. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not to say in pole, there's definitely like large productions that people put on or regular annual things. Um, mm -hmm. But there's not, you know, I think if, for example, you're a ballet dancer and you, there's like large companies in, in big cities that like that could be the traditional route. But I think if you're mm -hmm. going to be a quote professional pole dancer, there's mm -hmm. not, there's not a really, um, there's not a trodden path for you mm -hmm. to follow. Um, I think some people would consider themselves professional based on the professional level competitions they've entered. Some people consider themselves professional because they teach. Right. Um, so it's all self-proclaimed. Huh? It's all like self-proclaimed. Right. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, not, there's not someone who's like deeming right. people professionals necessarily. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure I let some people ask some questions here. Yeah. Um, so I have one that's, I have a couple that are written here. Um, and if anyone write, just types it in the chat box, you can ask a question or if you, uh, want to make your voice heard, you're always more than welcome to just raise your hand and I can unmute you. 
if you'd like to uh, share your voice with us, there's no pressure either way. Um, <clears throat> so I'm gonna read this first one. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I don't know if, I think you and I talked about it, but I'm not sure if you read Zen and the Art of Archery. I think I listened to most of it on audio tape and then okay. got so he says, uh, when we read Zen and the Art of Archery, we read about the bow and the pole and how they intersect with the embodiment of Zen. He says, what are the Zen and human-making aspects of pole and movement for you? The, the Zen and human-making. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very challenging question. Yeah. What I guess I guess I would ask for more definition on the meaning of Zen and the meaning of human making, but I'll just go with however I decide to to sure, interpret. Because that would be very Zen to just go with whatever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the the Zen and human making aspects that are are unique to to pull or movement for me. Um, you know, I think for for pull. Um, I don't, even though it's the, the thing I am the most experienced at, as far as movement goes at the moment, I don't know that it's my favorite or my, my most direct, um, route to this feeling of, of Zen or feeling human. I think for me, um, movement in general um, no matter what it is. So I, th I think for me, it doesn't necessarily matter what the discipline is that I choose in movement, but if it's movement related for me, the, the aspects that feel like Zen or human making are the things that make me feel um, embodied. So I guess if I'm, I'm going back to pole, for me, pole has been an avenue to approach freestyling and improvisation. And that's something that makes me feel embodied or feel this sense of flow where time shifts or where I just feel far more aware of my body or less judgmental or where I shed a lot of conditioned layers of thought and judgment. Um, so I think it's really the improvisational aspect where just because I'm improvising doesn't mean I get to that state of, of Zen or non-judgment. Um, um, because I, always anything i ever listen to about zen any talks about it any books about it i feel like when they get to like zen masters and being in like the the temples or whatever the interactions to me and and what they're doing all it ever reminds me of is an improv comedy class that's all <laughs> it is it's uh -huh. just like like what's in your head now like right. what happens right when that, like that, like mm -hmm. spontaneity. So I think your answer is actually like, I'm sitting here waiting for it. And I kept thinking like, oh, it's improvisation. Present. Yeah, it's present, present the, moment. It's like, yeah, it, you, because there's like no dwelling, there's no ruminating. It's like, you're like right in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it was the improvisation aspect of pole that is the most important. And then the, if we're going with the, the human making, um, to me, there are several aspects of movement that feel like the most important to being a human. Um, and a lot of them stem around like community and communication and also uh, like challenge and growth. I think if I'm not doing something in the movement realm that makes me feel challenged or 
like a just a tiny bit fearful, then I don't feel like I'm growing. And if I'm not growing or questioning myself, then I feel stagnant and I get very antsy. And I feel like that that continued growth. Um, and then then for me, the being able to share what I'm doing with other people um, mm -hmm. is important. And I think right now, obviously, online is the the way that we're doing that. Um, so it feels important to share. But then one of the things that made me so sad when the gym closed down was the, the thing that I appreciated, I think, the most for me at the gym was all these different movement games we would play. And mm -hmm. for me, like, I feel like I always had a shit eating grin on my face when we're just like playing games with balls and I was like fucking things up and, and not catching things. But to me, those were so much fun and interacting with other people in this, in this realm of play. Um, yeah. Well, even what you're describing, like even in pole, even like in your classes that are doing some things that are outside of the box. And we've talked a lot about this. There's not a lot of this human interaction. Yeah. Right. And, and you're right. I mean, and, that, and that's a difficult thing for me to reconcile with teaching online now too. Yeah. Is that is to me the, 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 the bigger piece, like, you know, yeah. teaching classes the way that I do now, I'm like, it's valuable. I think it's really important. I train a ton on my own, but like nothing replaces working with a person. Yeah. Right. Like there's yeah. nothing that drives your, your communication skills or, or your willingness to, to give in to randomness and spontaneity than like another, another mind that you have to play with. Yeah. So it's a really tough thing, but um, I always, re I always appreciate that. You know, like you, again, people get really uncomfortable with that, but you're just like, Oh yeah. Like, let's go. Like, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're pretending to box each other. We're throwing each other balls. We're like, yeah, around each other, like whatever you're like, Oh, like, let's do it. Yeah. Which I think is, is just such an important, right. We've, we've extracted movement from our life and turned it into something separate like exercise or dance. Um, mm. And if you go back millennia, like movement was, was how you survived and how you bonded as a community. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was all of these things and it wasn't something, something separate. So I think anything that's quote human making in any mm. movement discipline, right? Because now everything has to be separated into a movement discipline or something that you train in versus just mm -hmm. a way that you live. Um, anything that's human making is need, is going to involve community or other people in some way. Well, that's why it's so interesting that like when you talk about like in the very beginning, you were drawn to like African tribal dance, which is yeah. so human, which is so cultural, which is so like, they weren't like, oh, this is the dance and this is our, the rest of our lives. It was like, that was all, that was a part of the whole package. Yeah. I, there's a really good book. Um, called The Spirit of Intimacy. I can't remember the name of the author right now. Her last name is Somay, and her, her husband also wrote some books about um, African spirituality, but specifically from, I think it's the Dagara tribe that they were from. And she was talking this book that's talking about intimacy from the perspective that she's from. And she, part of her life's mission is to kind of deliver this different way of living and this different idea of being with people to, to people who have westernized minds um, and she's talking in one of the chapters about how ritual is such an important aspect in in their life and a lot of a lot of ritual involves dance and so from when the time you're a tiny baby you're dancing in these different rituals and these different community things and she when she moved to the west uh, she she thought that everybody knew how to dance um, she she like I think 
I don't remember the age, maybe it was like college kids or something that, that she interacted with. And they're like, wait, how do you do, how do you do this? And she had to like break down different like hip movements for them. Um, yeah, because it's, so, it's, like, it's like walking. Yeah. It's all part of like the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, I've had some experience very small now um, because a good amount of like some of the material I, I've been working on is like derived from like some tribal dancing mm-hmm. and just from a coordination perspective, it's like makes my head swell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I realize now, like when we started doing some of the coordination work in, in class, you were like, it like came mm-hmm. so quick because the coordination required upper body and lower body coordination for, for tribal dancing is like unbelievable. Yeah. And I yeah. think, I think there's, there's so much of that lacking um, in our society, but I think, you know, a lot of the dance forms, especially in America uh, that incorporate um, improvisation or these like really intricate levels of coordination are from, from the black community and people that have, you know, kept, kept up community by using dance and music and a lot of like, like house dance that developed in clubs in, in New York city or a lot of different hip hop forms are very much like communal and means mm-hmm. of keeping people together. And I think, yeah, a lot of, a lot of it's our movement has it's lost. interesting because it makes me think, I always talk about this like idea of like counterculture activities and I always stick it to like, why they're not fitness for a number of different reasons but what you're also describing is like with a lot of these things there's like a there's a there's a whole culture around it as well that's not there's like a sharing of information um there's there's a lot more to it than just like different forms and techniques yeah exactly their own culture yeah there's a whole culture and community and i'm by no means any expert on on like dance history but i think when you Look at a lot of a lot of ills at society. There's a lot of these very human aspects of movement that have been washed out of being a human. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I want to get some more of these questions because actually, you're very popular. Lots of questions. So, <laughs> um, do you have any favorite improvisation exercises for when you're training alone specifically? Ooh, favorite ones. Well, I think a lot of, if I need to feel (laughs) safe and not judgmental of myself, I'll usually choose something that's very um, physically restricting. Um, So maybe it's like, you know, if I'm doing floor work, like my right thigh has to stay in contact with the ground. So if I'm, if I'm feeling like that, I need that structure. Um, If I just want to turn on some music, I think one of my favorite, um, favorite ways of cueing myself. And I, my, my friend, Tracy Kafer, who teaches a lot of um, freestyle movement, she has this band, Finding Your Freestyle. She kind of started working in this way last year where um, she was, uh, you get in touch, it tends to be a little bit more like emotional and spiritual, but you, you ask yourself to um, call forth a certain part of yourself, right? With this idea that we have a lot of different pieces of ourself um, communicating at once. And maybe I'll be like, you know, I'll, I'll call forth the part of myself that is calm. If I'm like, I want to dance and the sensation I want to feel is calm. Or I'll call forth the part of myself that is at peace. Or, or like I'll call forth, 
forth the part of myself that is like agitated or joyful. Um, and I think that really, there's a lot of honesty in that. So whatever way I end up moving, I don't have to judge as much because it, it tends to be really authentic where I'm just like these movements, whether like my agitated self just needed to swing my arm around or like run around the pole for a long time. I think that tends to be a really um, freeing and insightful way to, to move your body. So I think on different ends of the spectrum, sometimes something really physically restrictive or sometimes something like really broad and personal. Mm -hmm. um, I like those. Is, I like is how I approach. One of them is like more like, um, external ones more internal mm -hmm. yeah yeah um yeah there's so many different ways like you could play with things things that are external like paying attention to a sound or paying attention to a sensation in your body which is still more internal I, there's so many ways to approach it but i think yeah. but yeah. i like those two i like those two as like ones that are like easy that are approachable for like any level right and you can kind of create them yourself yeah um what are the next movement forms you are excited to learn in the near future? And what, and I think this is actually the more interesting question mm -hmm. and what drives those decisions? I think maybe you answered a little bit by talking about filling in like gaps. Right. Um, right now, like I think I mentioned, um, I started taking house dance mm -hmm. classes this year. And to me, I'm really excited about that because it's a lot of fast footwork that I'm, like my feet feel familiar with that sensation mm -hmm. because of my background in Irish dance. So the footwork aspect, I can pick things up, but then there's this whole other level of like coordination with isolations in your body and upper body movements that I'm not used to coordinating with my feet. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that I'm really excited about. There's a lot of other dance styles that get me really excited, like popping and mm -hmm. locking. Um, mm -hmm. It involves all of these like ways of being really, like I think pole dance, thing has gotten me to be really fluid and smooth with my movement. Um, and some, some of these other dance forms have a lot more like sharp accents or quick ways of, of using your muscles that I'm not used to. So I think later on, I would like to study one of those dance styles. Like, that, like balance of hardness and softness or... Yeah. Yeah. Because like um, you said, there is kind of like they go together but some people get really caught in like one realm or the other yeah 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 exactly um but i think it also sometimes just has to do with like who i mean who who falls into my sphere um mm -hmm. who i find to be a, a teacher or instructor that i'm drawn to um yeah so i think i think my choices have to do with like a little bit of curiosity um yeah. and wanting to grow and then also what happens to be around me right but I would, I would also I add that like, you're, you're also not somebody who dabbles either. You know what I mean? Like you have like a lot of experience, but it's not like you're somebody who goes and does like one or two classes, one or two, and just like bounces around. Like from my experience working with you, like mm -hmm. you give things like a lot of room to breathe in your life before you mm -hmm. like move to another place or, or however yeah. you, you kind of maneuver to the next thing. Yeah. Just so people, I who listen aren't confused being like oh like she goes and does like this class and this class and this class and that class yeah no i'm not just like, on like class pass hopping around right like i mean <laughs> basically the entire time you and i were working together you were going to i think two house classes a week mm -hmm. something like that so it was just like you know you give like a lot of time to like feel things and like 
extract what you're looking for. And maybe it's enough. Sometimes it's maybe not enough, but who knows, but it's not like, it's not like a dabble situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's real like a, a practitioner. Um, let's do this. We'll make this the last question here. Uh, how are the training and classes that you have done with movement Brooklyn um, cross over to other classes you teach or into your dancing? What's the, what's the crossover between movement Brooklyn classes and what I'm currently teaching? Yeah. So like basically like what work you did at movement Brooklyn and how it has, if it has even uh, influenced classes you teach or how you perform. Mm. Uh, well, unfortunately I'm not, <laughs> not performing right now, so I don't know that it's influenced that. I think, you know, it, it's definitely influenced the way I'm practicing on my own. Um, particularly with, I think in two realms, like a lot of the strength work that mm -hmm. we did together were ways of being, uh, you know, I, I haven't so much in the past worked with <laughs> you know numbers when i when i'm building strength it was just like kind of do do as many as i could of of this one thing and and mm -hmm. if i do it a few times a week hopefully i get stronger but it was like no we're gonna add like 10 percent more weight this week and so really building strength in a more structured way mm -hmm. i think was really important for me and most of most of what i'm teaching right now is one-on-one -on -one pilates sessions mm -hmm. um and i don't know that you know pilates as a discipline is necessarily the like box that i would fit myself in but it's that's the kind of style that I that I teach people in but I, I think that's it's definitely affected the way that I approach programming for my mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. I've, I've been just a bit more structured like there's room to to improvise when I'm working with clients on what we're going to work on in our particular day mm -hmm. but I've also been better about like setting certain goals for people and and the way that I approach challenging them mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely affected my teaching in that way um, and I think the the games that that we played in class which a lot of my favorite instructors in the pole world too my friend marlo who actually um hosted tom wex's workshop which is why we met she um workshops and and trainings that i've taken from her involve a lot of uh in-person interaction and games as well mm -hmm. um and so i think like doing that with her and other instructors and then doing that more at movement brooklyn really made me realize like ah that's i want to add a lot more of that kind of interaction between people in the classes i teach because i'm i know that as a as a teacher i'm i'm very good at instructing movement clearly um and clarifying things for people um and creating creating an environment where they personally feel safe but then creating that further environment where they feel like they're a part of a community and they're interacting with one another and learning from one another mm -hmm. um i think that's something that i really love movement brooklyn and something that i really benefit from seeing in a class setting um and unfortunately right now i feel like yeah, it's, it's like it's like the time where it's like it's like the furthest from that right um but i think even in how i'm interacting with people online it's like knowing that these connections will hopefully build broader yeah. community later on and that i can bring that same feeling back to in-person classes when i'm able to do that well i want to point out like i i feel like I have for a good chunk been like really open and always wanted to try new things. And I always thought that that was something that I embraced, but there are definitely moments and I'm 
sure you've gone through them, but definitely, you know, you seem totally like eager to try everything, but there have been moments where, you know, I've grown like overly dogmatic in my life about like the thing that I'm doing or the thing that I'm teaching. And as much as I felt like even in the last year, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to try everything. I think getting to work with you made me realize like, oh, like I can be more open and more like willing to switch gears. And, and, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot of that from just like our time working together and our conversations that like, as much as I felt like I was, I was there, I was like, no, like I can go even further with that. So mm-hmm. I have to thank you for that because that was a, it was a big lesson I learned just from observing your way of like uh, exploring worlds. Mm-hmm. Ah, that makes me really happy to hear. Yeah. So yeah, you're teaching a lot online mm-hmm. and I see like on Instagram that you're you're doing like um, I think they're donation-based classes that people can sign up for um, can you tell everybody like where they can do that maybe mention your email or your Instagram or website whatever it is so that uh, people can can sign up and take your classes yeah definitely so I'm, I'm teaching uh, both independent classes myself and through the Pilates studio I teach for, which is Fort Pilates. Um, So I'm teaching a couple mat classes a week for them. And then the classes that I'm teaching independently that are a donation-based sliding scale. Um, I'm teaching one floor flow class. So it's floor work. It's an all levels class where we um, will break down little pieces of movement. We often work on putting them together in some kind of some kind of loop. So you learn a sequence and then we'll also play, play some kind of independent movement games within that. Um, and I think it's really approachable for all levels. Uh, so I'm teaching that floor flow class on Thursdays, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm also recording the classes. So if people want access to them after, um, they can have that. And then there's a flexibility class that I'm teaching regularly on Saturdays. That's 1 p.m. Eastern as well. Um, the crew that I get in that class tends to be a lot from the pole world. So it tends to be a little bit more geared towards like flexibility skills that people in the pole dance world want to learn, like specifically splits and particulars backbends that translate to the pole. It's definitely still, it can be beneficial for people of any movement realm, but I think it appeals most to that group. Like we do a mix of active and passive and creating shapes and all this, but the flexibility classes on Saturdays, the floor flow is on Thursdays and you can find all the information for them on my Instagram, which is E E E M L Y. Okay. Emily. Got it. Yeah. Three E's and then an M L Y. Correct. And I, and it must've been like at the beginning of the quarantine lockdown thing that you did like an online performance as part of like, I think it was almost like a collective of, yeah. of performers. Uh-huh. Are you doing anything like that coming up that that people could could watch or anything? I I don't um, I'm not I'm don't have anything coming up. There's there's been a few different like online kind of weekly or monthly performances that have popped up during mm-hmm. this time, um, but I don't have anything coming up. I there might be something in the future, but mm-hmm. yeah, nothing. But you post about it on your Instagram. Yeah, but I posted about it on the Instagram, exactly. Well, the one that you did that Alexa and I watched mm-hmm. was genuinely funny <laughs> and, and really well performed. It was you and your roommate. 
Mm-hmm. And whoever was using, whoever was managing the camera, like the cinematographer, mm-hmm. um, because that played a huge role in how great it was as well. Yeah. Um, so, is there anywhere that people can watch like that or some of the other performances? Like, are you? Do you have any stuff on that, YouTube? I do have stuff on YouTube. If you search my full name, Emily Sanderson, you'll find my YouTube account. I I don't have that particular performance posted on there, but I can definitely upload it. it I think it's worth it. It's to me, it doesn't like totally like it doesn't grasp what you do. Right, but I think it's really fun in terms of like I think an artistic piece. I think it was really well done, considering it was the I don't know. It must have been like a month into like the lockdown. Yeah, I think I think it was like crazy performance. Eighteen days, and it was a um, it was a humorous take on what our quarantine life as roommates looked like even though it's not entirely accurate but it was yeah it was a fun fun yeah. take on, on that again, that like, portion and i and i honestly thought it was amazing because it was performers from all over the world and everybody was so talented and doing amazing things mm-hmm. but yours was the only one that had a little bit of this like vaudevillian aspect to me mm-hmm. that i really appreciated like you know all the other ones were just like oh this person's a really gifted dancer performer whatever you guys were like oh we're gonna like yeah we're gonna add a little bit of like three stooges to this yeah it was it was so much fun it's so different from like if you look at my youtube a lot of my stuff is like improvisation or competition pieces i've done so doing this like really funny act oh my god we had so much fun creating it we didn't create it until like two days before we were sitting on the couch we're like maybe we should do this oh that would be great maybe we should maybe we should add this in like that people will find that funny so it was just this kind of uh creation experience that I hadn't had before that I think uh at at that point uh it's really hard to translate something that's uh translate performance online and I think humor was a really easy way to communicate with people online at that point it was a hit i was like this is fantastic so hopefully you'll put it up in time where i can like once i put this out to everybody people can go and watch yeah. it because oh. I, thought, I thought it was awesome um well i'm looking forward to like whenever things get to a place where we can like all get together again and we can we can train again and somehow somewhere whatever that's what, what that's going to look like uh, because you know it wasn't, I, it was a rare opportunity where I had like a training partner in the middle of the days mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, and I, and I looked forward to it and it was amazing. And we got to share a lot of books. I, you know, I've read a lot of the books that you've suggested to me and up some books that I've suggested to you. So like, I don't know what it looks like after this, but I look forward to like continuing that in some way. Yeah. Likewise. All right. Well, I, I'm going to let you go. Um, this was amazing. Uh, thank you for making time to do it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and thank you to everybody who showed up for the live Zoom call. Yeah, thanks everybody. And thanks for all the the great questions and everything. And uh, yeah, we will talk soon. Yeah, talk soon. All right, bye. Bye.